Welcome to Being Honest with My Ex. My ex is Peter C. Haywood. My ex is SJ, better known as Honor Eastley. We were engaged for two years and, and then, then we, we broke, broke up. up and then we stopped talking to each other for a year and now we do a podcast together. Would you have a baby with me? If I can get you to cry next podcast, we'll have a hat trick. <laughs> you don't know this, but I have a very vivid image of what your penis looks like. What? <laughs> if I met you now, I do not think that I would go out with you. Oh my God. I think if I met you now, I'd, I'd fall more in love with you than I did the first time. Hey guys, this is a bit of an unusual episode because it is not new content. This episode has actually been mostly cut together by one of our listeners, one of you guys, a listener called Ben, who's put together all the discussions that we've had around mental health on the show into one convenient format, which, I mean, we didn't, we didn't ask Ben to do this. Ben did it because he thought it would be a really good resource to have. And without blowing my own trumpet too much, it, it actually is really quite a good resource. It's the kind of thing that I wish that I'd had access to a couple of years ago. So if you have friends who might be interested in those conversations, but not necessarily the rest of the podcast, this would be a good episode to point them to. But if you have also listened to every episode and you are a diehard Being Honest With My Ex fan, this is not new content, but you might still find it interesting a second time around. The only other thing I need to mention before I go is that we are moving the days that we upload the podcast. It's going to be moving to Thursdays in Australia, Wednesdays in the US, some other time in between there if you're elsewhere. And so if you want to get it straight up hot off the press, just means that you have to tune in on Wednesday and Thursday, see when it's up. Hopefully it will be more consistent because Peter will be doing it. <laughs> and he's better at this stuff than me. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy it. Talk to you next time. Bye. When I've had really, really difficult moments in terms of my mental health, I think one of the scariest things is that I just like... Oh, wow. I just like lose who I am. So there's this thing that happens when you scuba dive sometimes is that you can actually lose like understanding of which way is up. And yeah, it kind of feels like that. And I'm just like all the stuff that felt really um, solid, like just has gone. You felt like you knew the, the sky was above you and the ground was below, and now suddenly you're like, is it? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> like... You okay? Yeah, it's definitely that... I didn't, I didn't mean to make you cry on a podcast. That wasn't my intention. <laughs> it's okay. I had... You had a pretty... lot of tears to give. <laughs> no, I just had a pretty good idea that would happen no I I've been doing I mean I've been in the mental health care system for about 12 years it's been really difficult um, but 
last year, around the time that we broke up actually, um, I got a different diagnosis and I got introduced to the idea of skills-based therapy. That was really new to me. What is that? So skills-based therapy is basically psychotherapy, but where they give you skills. So rather than being like, okay, let's just talk about it. Maybe could you think about talking about it like this? You know, which is a lot of CBT, which is about... Okay, we've jumped into jargon here. First of all... Okay, okay, sorry. When I hear psychotherapy, I I always think of electroshock therapy. They're different things. They are very different things. No, no, no. They're really different things. Psychotherapy is when a psycho comes and gives you therapy. No. Also, psycho is an awful word. Talk-based therapy. So most people know talk-based therapy, which is where you go see a therapist or a psychologist and you talk about stuff, about what's happening in your life, and you work through things. Lie down on the couch kind of stuff. Yeah, and they try and help you think about things in different ways or find the solutions yourself. Um, it's really super helpful. I've done a lot of talk-based therapy, but um, I found it, now that I've done skills-based therapy, which I'll explain what that is in a second, um, I find that talk-based therapy can be really disempowering right. because it doesn't give you any of the skills to help you solve your own problems. It means that you're perpetually reliant on those therapy sessions yeah so skills-based therapy is exactly what you would think it's more of a a particularly in a group environment it's a learning skills to deal with situations thought patterns behavioral patterns um, to improve your quality of life yeah basically that's just a little bit of an idea of what skills-based therapy is and the idea of the program that I did which is Um, dialectical behavior therapy which is just a bunch of jumbo to most people is basically they're trying to give you all the skills of a therapist so you can help yourself all right so you can like have a little therapist in your pocket and it's called your brain yeah exactly i was like holy fuck that's amazing yes please can i have some of that (laughs) that is gonna save me so much money here's the big question how are you feeling like was it helpful so, I mean, the, the program that I did, the 12-month program that I did was very, very helpful. Do you want to talk um, about your diagnosis? Like, do you, do you want to mention what it was? So... You can say no. So, uh, I mean, diag- I, I don't really have so much of a problem with talking about diagnosis, just more that uh, I don't... Conversations about ty- diagnosis, I think, are actually need to be really nuanced. Right. And so what I mean by that is like, so I've been diagnosed with a bunch of different stuff and the more helpful clinicians, like professions, professionals that I've worked with have taken an approach that doesn't centre around diagnosis. Does that make sense? Right, yep, yep. Because once you start getting, well for me anyway, and I think this happens for a lot of people, but once you, if you start getting really attached to a diagnosis, that can be really unhelpful. And that's what I found initially when I got a new diagnosis. So I've been diagnosed with, from, from a very young age with depression and anxiety and like chronic suicidal ideation. And then last year I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder with traits of bipolar. Yep. But all of that is still pretty hazy. Like I actually haven't really talked so much about the diagnosis side of things and what that would come down to very much in the last year. Right, okay. Almost 18 months. Like, it's not a conversation that I have very often. Because it's not helpful. Yeah, because it's not helpful. Okay, that's fine. 
I did not know that. This podcast is genuinely just Peter learns stuff. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the thing that's kind of interesting about that is that, like, the program that I did is specifically tailored mostly for people who have a, a diagnosis of BPD, which is borderline personality disorder. And what's funny is that bipolar disorder has the same has the same acronym. It does. But only one of them is called BPD. Um, but that borderline personality disorder within the mental health care system has a really, really, really bad reputation. So much so that when I was an inpatient, the nurse, the first nurse that I met, told me not to tell anyone what my diagnosis was because I would be treated poorly by the staff. Right. Not by the other inpatients, but by the staff. You know what my stance has always been on that, though? What? I don't give a damn about a bad reputation. <laughs> I don't know the next line of the song. Go on. <laughs> um, that was a terrible joke. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I apologise on your behalf. I like, um, I like the fact that the only one you've called out as terrible is the only one you've laughed at. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like I had to laugh after you said that you'd been making bad jokes. Don't, don't pity me. <laughs> Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was a, like uncomfortable emotional response. No. I will. This is being honest with my ex, not pretending to laugh at my ex's awful jokes. But then I immediately told you. <laughs> That's true. You were then honest <laughs> with your ex. It's true. Um, so, so how do you feel? Are you feeling better? So I feel a lot better. Um, my mental health is much better than I even imagined it could possibly be. Oh, that's good. Like, ever. I didn't consider that how well I am was a possibility. That's beautiful. And so even though I was I was in hospital about, like, a bit over a year ago, this year has been the best year for my mental health since I can ever remember. Yeah. Which is amazing and is why I'm such... I'm, I mean, I'm a really big fan of skills-based therapy. Yep. And why I'm such a big proponent for people getting more access to um, mental health services. Because at the moment, you just spend so much fucking time getting pushed around to different services. And basically, it just makes you feel like there's no way that your life can be better. Yeah. And that you're always, like, it's always going to be like that. Because treating mental health issues is a very resource-heavy endeavour. And the system basically tells you by its quotas and lack of funding that you aren't fixable and then you just believe that so people are just failed time and time again myself included uh a person uh earlier this year who i know suicided uh she had a similar diagnosis to me and um she had just been she had just been failed time and time again by the mental health care system and that's what happens people people get worse and it really, it, you know. And then people come along and people, make really bad die. jokes about it. Yeah, don't make a joke. Anyway, <laughs> people, you know, what happens is that people die. Yeah. Uh, because the system tells them that they, they, it can't get better. So what that means is it can get better, but I understand why people think that it can't because that's what I, that's how I used to feel. Yeah. Um, so I'm a lot better. Uh, around probably around two months ago I had a really really dodgy patch where I was not very well uh, which was difficult but what was really refreshing was that I knew that that was good, gonna happen at some point yeah and so it meant that when it did 
I was like, oh yeah, okay, this is, this is that thing that's happening and it sucks. And it meant that it wasn't as bad because... If you know what's happening, it's never as bad. If you understand it. Yeah, and because I was like, oh, this is, this is going to end. Because previously what I did in terms of therapies is I would, I would get to a point and I was like, I'm cured. I found the answer. It's so good. It's never going to be bad again. Yeah. And then oh, inevitably that wasn't true. <laughs> yeah. And, and because it wasn't true, that, you know... It was even more devastating, yeah. And harder to deal with and get over it. And understanding that it's not always going to be good and that it's an ongoing process. Did you know that like people with mental illness, oh, I hope I get this right, their life expectancy is 20 years less. Yeah, I think I've heard that. And a big part of that is to do with like the drugs that you're prescribed. Like I was previously on lithium, which is actually mm -hmm. a really dangerous drug to take long term. And like- Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, like I had to go through a lot of tests to make sure that my heart was still working properly and all that kind of stuff. Do you know how they discovered lithium's effects? How? So there was a, a psychiatric hospital which back way, way back before modern medicine was where they put people in just like locked them up and asylums, them with electrodes and all that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, an asylum. And they noticed that uh, one table in the cafeteria were really like quiet and subdued compared to everyone else. Yeah. And they found out that the, the meal that they were eating, it had lithium like dripping into it from the pipes or whatever. Like there'd been some kind of weird lithium leak because lithium's a base chemical. Yeah. You don't. It's not. It's not a concoction. It's just one of the base elements. And somehow lithium had gotten into their food, and they're like, "Oh, that has a really stabilizing effect." And then they did tests, and they're like, "Oh, this is just a really easy to use drug." Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I actually have a, like I have. I mean, I'm obviously I'm like a whatever is helpful is my like mantra first opinion and then the opinion behind that opinion is <laughs> I don't really like your, drugs your backup opinion. <laughs> but that's also because I I've never found I've never found drugs to be effective for me and also yeah, see, I find the the drugs are bad kind of philosophy no no no, no, no. I don't think stop the, taking I don't them. think the drugs are bad I just think that like I know like that sometimes you can get into the the trap of like being like drugs is the answer that makes sense? I don't think that drugs are bad. I think people should take drugs, but I'm saying that I don't have any strong positive attachment to drugs because I've never had drugs work for me. Right. So, yeah. so like, I'm like, eh, like, and also I've heard of stories of people taking drugs and like their drugs are effective and then after five years, the drug just stops working and then they can't yeah. find. And they haven't got any, any methods to cope because they've just been using the drug. Hopefully they're using a combination of things. But yeah, like, yeah. I, and people like being like, I just need the drugs to get right. And that puts you in a very vulnerable and disempowered position. Does that make sense? Yeah. I know, it's a, it's yeah, still, it's I still don't think that drugs are bad. I just think that it does put you in this really disempowered position. You know how when you hang out with someone long enough, you kind of get their voice in your head a little bit? Yeah. There's one thing that you said ages back. Uh, I don't think it was on a podcast. I think it was just when we were hanging out and chatting. And since then, I've, it's, it's almost become like one of my life mantras. Like it's one of the core beliefs that I have. Oh, I think I know what it is. Is it don't be, don't be right, be useful? No, no, it's shorter than that. Oh, because that one is good. Is it don't be a dick? <laughs> no, no, that, that's never Is been. it use, use your words? No. Okay. I don't think you're going to get it. 
Uh, it's just shit's complicated. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Shit's you complicated. You said it like in this in this, in this kind of semi-resigned like I don't know. Shit's complicated. <laughs> I just um, went and saw um, Miranda July speak last night. And How was it? So Miranda July is like one of my favourite artists. I won't go into why she's amazing, but she did this bit where she was talking, the talk was like a little bit uh, talking about her artistic practice over time and how she sort of got to be with her where she is, but obviously missing heaps of detail. And she did this bit where she was like, well, so I did that and then I had done that other thing and that other thing. And then I realized that like life was just like, you work as hard as you can on the things and then you keep doing that and then you do that again until you die. <laughs> and she was like, oh, so then I had a kid. <laughs> And it just made me think about that a lot. I was talking about it with one of my friends who has kids and she was saying, like, I think that they're right, that, like, you know, there's all this stuff around having having true happiness or whatever. It's about having something that you're committed to that is outside of yourself. Yeah. But I was like, I would like to make the argument that you can have a bunch of things that are outside of yourself that aren't having babies. I think yeah. there's a. Oh yeah, yeah. I think absolutely. there's a few other things you could do. You could yeah. <laughs> uh, social activism. Or, yeah, there's lots of things uh, that you could do that are outside. Or racism. Of you could really dedicate yourself to racism. So a peer support worker is someone who has, is I like this phrase, an expert by experience, um, rather than an expert by profession. Right. And often it's running peer support groups. So that's like a group just of people who have experienced mental illness. I haven't seen it in another scenario, really. I've like only really seen this in, in like mental health. Um, or it's like one-on-one -on -one conversations, sort of like, you know, sort of like a therapy. But it, how it's different is, it's a little bit confusing, but it's an, a horizontal relationship. Like, so... So I'm going to explain. I'm going to explain it by just explaining a little bit about psychiatry and how that works. So first of all, you know that bit from is it David Foster Wallace? He has that speech. What is water? No, this is water. No, I know nothing about David Foster Wallace. It's a really, really beautiful speech. At the start, he tells the story of like old fish swims past a young fish, and the old fish goes like, "How's the water?" And the young fishes look to each other and they're like, what's water? Right. So that kind of thing of like... I like how your explanation of what intentional peer support worker starts with a quote from David <laughs> This is not in the... I Like the intentional peer support like handbook. That was just that was just me throwing it in there. Anyway, so, so I say that because like doing the training has made me really think about the structures of psychiatry and the structures of um, mental health services and how they affect someone's self-identity in ways that are so foundational that we don't even realise that it's happening. That's what I mean by the this is water thing. Is like water is everywhere, so ubiquitous that they're like, I don't even know what that is. One of the things that we did was we did this exercise where you had to think about your, like an experience that you've had in your life and then write it out using medical language. So like diagnostic language stuff like that and then write your same experience using no medical language at all and it just like like it completely changes how you relate to 
those things happening to you. The second one deeply humanizes those experiences, whereas like the first one deeply, like it's it's really othering. And then if you think about how people use that language on themselves to then describe their own experiences and then how in doing so, like you other yourself through your description of of your experience to yourself, like all of this is ha- all of this happens eternally. So then there's this other thing of like language creates reality, right? So if the language that you are using is othering, like it it makes the problem worse. So it's about kind of like looking at how the mental health system works and how like say you know that you know the term learned helplessness. We're talking about that in terms of like it should actually be like taught helplessness or constrained yeah. constrained choice. Because when you think about if you're someone like like myself who's been in the mental health care system for a significant period of time, whatever that means to you, it means that you're always in this helpy role. Like you are always the person who needs the help. You're always the person right. who isn't like isn't the expert is the person that yeah. can't cope, is the person that You're is struggling. Seeking, yeah. seeking advice or wisdom or, or assistance. Yeah, so part of what uh, like intentional peer support is about is like, hey, you know, being in that role is going to actually make shit worse because it's difficult to think well of yourself if you're cons- consistently, regularly, over time, kept in these roles where you are disempowered and where you are by the nature of them told that you aren't capable. So peer support is more about like having horizontal relationships and by horizontal I just mean equal and the idea is that both people are learning. So even if you're working with someone who is the peer support worker, the idea is that like no one is actually an expert because the idea that you could be a person that someone else could learn from is very empowering. Anyway, I'm really new to this stuff but I'm just totally fascinated with it because I'm like oh my god like these systems are set up that and they make people they make people sick because they disempower you what did I write down the diagnosis is a sophisticated form of abuse which is like a particular you know slant on that thing diagnosis is also yeah. really like diagnosis is also really really helpful I didn't think yeah. that was a quote from like something that someone quoted I, I just think it's interesting again to like look at the you know look at the two sides because yeah, yeah. shit's complicated. Diagnosis. <laughs> shit's complicated. Diagnosis isn't solely good or bad. Like for for it's me, complex, it was really yeah. really helpful in some ways, and then it was also it was helpful in a lot of ways for me to understand my experience, and then it was also really helpful in a lot of ways for me to like completely tear myself apart. So. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, no, I know what you mean. We're as humans, we're, we're we want to make things as simple as possible. Like we want to, we want our bad guys wearing black hats and our good guys wearing white hats, and we want to be like, no, diagnosis is good. Look at the good it's done. Uh, Hitler was evil. Look at the evil he's done. I've had like the, particularly the first three, four months, five months. I don't know of this year were like increasingly not so good rough months I was going to use the word deteriorate but I actually really don't like that when I think about using that word to describe myself I just it makes me want to 
It makes me feel out of control. You've had a bit of a bad run. Yeah, so I had a bad time. And then I was like, man, I need to freaking do something about this. Now I actually find going to see my psychologist, going to see my psychiatrist actually a bit traumatic. Okay. And that sounds like overly dramatic, but I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this. So basically I've been thinking a lot about how how we deal with mental illness or mental distress or these kind of experiences, what that does for how a person relates to themselves and what that does for someone's self-esteem. And I feel like I should put in that I don't think there's a right way to approach this. Um, and people have like all different opinions. For some people, having a diagnosis is like really something that gives them a lot of relief and that really helps them to like understand their life and their experiences in a way that's really helpful. But I'm increasingly feeling like basically the opposite of that. That there's this intense othering that goes on and that it creates this like psychodrama that I can't quite unpick. Does that make sense? So you weren't really privy to this aspect of my life um, because we broke up while it was happening. But when we were together, just at the end of our relationship, I got a diagnosis of uh, borderline personality disorder. You may remember this. (laughs) (laughs) And I then spent the next, like I read everything about it. Um, I started taking some new drugs and I was recommended for this program and I was like, oh shit, I have an answer. Like I have the answer. I've just always been waiting for the answer. And there was like a few other diagnoses flying around of like maybe you have bipolar or blah, 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 blah. And so for I think a month, I was like, I've got the answer. I've got the, I've been waiting for years, like years and years for someone to give me the answer. Someone finally gave me the answer and told me what I should do. And now it's gonna be like, it's gonna be fine. But then what happened was slowly, I just started seeing like, there's this thing that happens where you start seeing your experiences as symptoms. So like there's no way of not seeing your behavior, all of your, this is my personal experience, but. Like I couldn't stop seeing all of my behavior, all of my thoughts, all of my actions as symptoms or lack of symptoms. And that meant that like my life felt completely out of my control. Right. In this way that was really, really scary and unhelpful. And that's like, I feel like that's a really big reason why I ended up in the hospital. I just deteriorated, deteriorated, there's that word again. Or like, I don't know, like six, six or so months. Diagnosis and treatment has an iatrogenic outcome. What's that word mean? Iatrogenesis is, I said it and I, I, I felt really smart when I said it. Um, so iatrogenesis is when the treatment creates, the treatment is harmful. Does that make sense? 
It makes sense. The reason I'm arguing this is because you've not explained why the treatment is harmful. You've explained why the treatment is helpful for everyone, which seems to be the opposite of the point that you're making. Yeah, so, well, I think that a lot of the things that you learn in therapy and psychologists and in psychology is helpful to everyone. I think that kind of awareness <laughs> about thoughts and blah, 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 I think that's all really helpful. But the idea that you're the, you get it because you are some, some, like, because you are defunct, is this, like, why, like, why am I the only person that needs this? There must be something really wrong with me. But at the same time, all of these processes make huge amounts of sense, like, for anyone to engage with. They absolutely do. The reason, I mean, if, you know, everyone needs food, but when you go to a food bank to get food, you don't be like, ah, oh, why am I getting this food when everyone needs it? You are the one getting it because you have gone to the place to get that help. <laughs> like, yes, you're absolutely right. This, this kind of process, thought process is helpful for everyone. But most people aren't getting it because they're not seeking help. If you're seeking help and getting help, you can't be like, why am I the one getting help? I'm just the person seeking it. But I feel like the process... <laughs> like, I, 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 I didn't... I didn't mean to attack you or make you cry. I do want to hear why you don't like the process, but so far you, your entire argument has not been the process is bad for these reasons. It's been the process is helpful for everyone. I don't have my camera on, so I don't know if you've disappeared or... Hello? Hi. Sorry, I just had to leave. You, you need to... T <laughs> we don't have a camera on, so you need to tell me when you're leaving. So we're agreed that ideally everyone would go through this process, but your argument is that it's not necessarily helpful. And I want to know why. My argument is that I feel like I can only speak from my experience, but that the process of, um, the process of being inside the mental health services creates this real othering. And there's this, like, I, f I feel like this is, like, I'm, really, like, really still buffering a lot of my views about this, but if you, it's kind of interesting, this thing that if you, if you go, like, the illness aspect of that, I think, really changes how I identify with myself, how I identify with my experiences in a way that isn't helpful for me. And then the process of going to um, get help, like there's some ways in which like it's just really clearly sort of like unhealthy, can like kind of fucked. Like when I was in, um, when I was in hospital, like I really expected, particularly considering um, the fact that the, the hospital that I went to was like, it was a private hospital. It, it, it was, you know, like it was like one of the best hospitals, whatever. Um, and I know that people have different experiences in different places. I don't have, I don't have real experiences of the public system. I, ex I really expected people to be like, oh, wow, you are in crisis. How do we help you out? But when I got there, 
I just got the feeling that, like, no one gave a fuck. Like, my family did. Like, it was a job for them. Um, like, and, um, yeah, which I, like, I get that, they, people, obviously not everyone was like this, but, you know, people who have those roles, um, who work in those kind of places become sort of, like, desensitised. Yeah, but, you have to. Um, like, it made me feel, like, the whole environment made me feel, like, worse. Particularly when, like, the, the first um, nurse who I spoke to was, like, saying that I shouldn't tell any of anyone else what my diagnosis was. And I was like, oh, you mean, like, other, other, you know, patients or whatever, other people who are in here? And she's like, oh, no, I mean the staff. If you tell the staff what your diagnosis is, they will treat you worse. And I was like, well, that's really fucked. Yeah, it's it's such a tricky area. Like I I, I, I empathize with you, but I'm simultaneously and trying also, to. When I was like, hey, uh, she, she was like, this is the intake nurse was like, hey, um, like do you do you self harm or whatever? And I was like, yes. And she was like, show me. And she was like, yeah. Well, if you do that in here, we will send you to public hospital. And. Like, I understand, like, just, I think that's such a deeply inhumane way of, like, like, threatening people. Like, I think that's so fucked. I mean, what would, what would you prefer? What would you suggest? I want, like, what I expected was, I expected, like, and I've, I have a, I have a friend says the same thing um like I expected like a hug if that makes sense like I know that sounds stupid and I don't mean an actual hug but I mean um I expected that when I went there there would be a an acknowledgement that like oh wow you're here um you've never You've never been here before. Um, you must be in a really bad place. Like, how how can we support you? Um, Do you think that would be effective? There wasn't to say that there wasn't a couple of people like that, but I felt very, very alone. Yeah. And terrified. That really sucks. <laughs> and the place made me feel like more, like more crazy. And, um, yeah. And, and dismissed. I remember talking to, uh, I remember talking to a nurse and she was like, you know, like, what's, like, what's your problem? And I kind of just, like, I spoke about some of my existential life worries and um, she was like oh you're one of those people that thinks too much and I was like like I think I I think I laughed at the time maybe because 
I think she had a Scottish accent and she went on some rant about, um, not a rant, she's just like, life is about having a job, having a family, going to see some parts of the world and travel and, and, and you know, that's it, it's simple. And like, there was just, like, that's a fine way to view the world, but it, it wasn't really um, very helpful. And, yeah. I've, like I just felt like I had no one to talk to who actually worked there like I had a number of really amazing friends and family who came and visited but the actual place yeah made do, you think it's a, do you think it's a, a budgetary thing or a approach thing so I think a big part of it is an, is actually an approach thing they have um there's actually other alternatives. So there's places like parks, which I didn't know about at the time, but I would have much preferred to go to. A park is a prevention and recovery center, and they have a few of them. Um, and it's it's basically like a place where you can go and stay, and they have group programs there. But there's you can leave at any point, um, and there's always someone to like. There's always someone to talk to, but. It, that sounds better to me. Yeah. In terms of like, it's less, it's less othering. If that makes sense, and less yeah, like absolutely. we need to make sure, like we need to keep you under control. But then there's also other places. I think it's called Sartoria. It's a type of. I think it's been used a lot in with psychosis with people experiencing psychosis in the states. That information might be wrong, but like crisis centers that are completely peer run. So that actually don't follow the medical model at all. It's not to say that people don't use meds or whatever, but the focus isn't on like a medical approach. Getting you out the door. Uh, I did. I was doing training last. I was delivering training last week, and I met a woman who started up her own like peer, completely out of her and her community's um, energy and resources. A crisis center a crisis phone line counseling but not counseling that's all like completely peer run where they've taken in like whole families when they're in crisis yeah does that make sense to like help them through a period like i wanted to feel connected i just feel like what I want is someone at the same level who understands and is motivated to find their way through the experience as well. Do you think going back to therapy would be helpful with that? Well, and this is to bring it back around, which is the initial question of should I go back to therapy? Um, I think I've mentioned this to you before, but at the moment, every time I leave any therapeutic relationship I feel worse as in uh, an individual session yeah and I understand that often when you go and do therapy you might end up feeling worse at the end but I feel like so there's this weird thing that happens when you go to therapy where you have to kind of turn up with a problem yeah but you've scheduled the 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 appointment maybe a month in advance and maybe you might see someone every week and every week you go there specifically to talk about your problem 
Like it means that you have to have focus on problems. Not always. I mean, it depends on who you're seeing and how your relationship works. But at the moment, I'm finding, particularly with, with one person that I see, every time I go, I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I actually just want to talk about this thing. And they're like, oh, we need to really focus on your deep-rooted sense of shame. And I'm like, wow, I did not really want to unpack that. Have you talked to them about that? Yeah, I've talked to them about the fact that when I go, I feel like I feel, I feel worse. And that um, this whole, the process of going to therapy, I find um, quite difficult at the moment because it's like a dedication to a set of ideas around my experiences that I don't necessarily think are completely healthy, like completely helpful for me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Does any of this make sense? When I've had really, really difficult moments in terms of my mental health, I think one of the scariest things is that I just, like, oh, wow. I just, like, lose who I am. There's this thing that happens when you scuba dive sometimes is that you can actually lose like understanding of which way is up. And yeah, it kind of feels like that. And I'm just like, all the stuff that felt really um, solid, like just has gone. So thank you, Ben, for being freaking amazing. We have some of the most awesome listeners and it's just really humbling, actually.